just about everyone in the nation when this first became public knowledge of what was occurring at, at the southern border with the children being taken away uh, from their parents. I was uh, horrified and uh, because I have children, I have grandchildren. Some of those parents are having to pay to get their kids back to them. Um, so I just think the level of suffering is, is incalculable. Hello everyone, welcome to Powering Up, a cross-generational conversation about leadership and power through a female lens. I'm Ann Doyle, author of Powering Up, How America's Women Achievers Become Leaders. And I'm Monica Doyle. Um, our guests today are two women who have been so outraged and saddened by the image, news reports, and sounds of sobbing refugee children separated from their parents and held as prisoners at our borders uh, that they decided to do something about it. Elaine Roseboro and Laura Lisi, uh, two Detroit area residents, understand how short our attention spans can be. And the wrenching headlines about separated families and lost children uh, that we've all seen can too easily be forgotten. And so they wanted to create a powerful public display to remind people that there are children still separated and still suffering. So they created, uh, I guess what would be called a woodland memorial of children's toys, stuffed animals, and teddy bears displayed on a large patch of grass along Woodward Avenue, which is a major thoroughfare that runs through a busy street in Detroit. And we will have images of this very, very powerful display uh, posted on my website and also with the show notes. And, you know, Monica, when a friend and I first passed it, she said to me, what is that? And I said, you know what? I just read about that in the paper this morning. I know exactly what that is. And we backed up, we stopped the car, we turned around, we went back, and we got out. And um, we walked among those powerful thousand stakes uh, with stuffed animals tied to them to protest the Trump administration's family separation policy uh, at our southern border. So uh, I want to start. Welcome, Lori, or welcome, Elaine Rosenboro and Lori Lisi. Um, Elaine, the display was your idea initially, and uh, Lori, you were one of the powerful advocates who helped her bring this uh, to life. But I want to start with you, Elaine. Tell us about um, what moved you uh, to imagine something and then how you got this idea and how you helped bring it to life. Oh, I'll be glad to tell you that. Um, like just about everyone in the nation, when this first became public knowledge of what was occurring at, at the southern border with the children being taken away uh, from their parents, I was uh, horrified. And uh, because I have children, I have grandchildren. And what it brought to mind was an instance when my own son was young, uh, I lost him for an hour in a department store. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, frantic. I was beside myself. Uh, and I thought, that's how I felt for one hour. I, so I could really empathize with the poor mothers 
whose children were gone and shipped across the country. And fathers. And fathers also, right? Yeah, they, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it's true. And grandmothers, they were taken away from grandmothers also. And so um, I just thought the, <clears throat> excuse me, the moral outrage would continue. But then I noticed after a few weeks, it seemed to be dropping from the news cycle as yeah. more terrible things happened, one thing or another, uh, there was getting less and less news coverage. Mm -hmm. And I thought, where is the public outrage gone? Right. And, and it's not right for it to disappear. Yeah. And so uh, this idea that something needs to be done uh, to keep it in the public forefront um, wouldn't let go of me. Mm -hmm. And I thought about it, talked to my family about it. We discussed it with friends and what could one do and uh, came up with the idea that what has the strongest impact on the public is the visual yes. rather than words. Pictures Word, tells a thousand words, Really, right? and uh, what came to mind was the Vietnam Memorial. I can remember when I first saw that, how the power of seeing all those names. And um, the I haven't seen it, but I understand that the lynching uh, memorial yes. down, down south has the same effect yes. when you think, my goodness, this, this is the numbers. Yes. So I thought if people could actually see what 3,000 looks like, there was 3,000 children under the court order that to be returned. The judge ordered them yeah, returned. Yeah, at least that many have And been I taken. think there is more. We don't even know the total numbers. No, it's very hard to get hard numbers. And uh, so I thought if people could actually see what 3,000 look like, it would have a very strong impact. Right. Uh, so uh, then it became, well, 3,000 what? Yeah, <laughs> right. And uh, we, uh, I bounced around several different ideas, most of them impractical. Uh, the uh, first thing that came to mind would be a, like, a vis like a cardboard cutout of a child. Uh, 3,000 of, of them would be very impactful. So I went to FedEx, and they said, yes, certainly we can do that, and they'd be $100 a piece. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us what you did, though. <laughs> so um, uh, we're... What you, end up, when, what you ended up with... Was uh, wooden stakes with a toy attached. We felt toys symbolize children. Yes. And uh, especially teddy bears and cuddly ones. Yeah. And uh, and so many times with little ones, you see they're running around, they're clutching their little their favorite toy, and so that's the symbol that we settled on. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was the idea. You had this powerful idea of this image, but that's, uh, you can't do that alone. I mean, no. you can come up with the idea. So then how did you manage to bring it to um, this powerful statement that um, thousands of people saw as they drove past it uh, in the Detroit area? Well, as I, I soon realized uh, that I needed a team to support me, mm -hmm. and I broached the idea with my own church. Uh, they, for their own reasons, and I don't argue with the reasons that they gave, uh, decided not to do it. Okay. And uh, this was uh, in about September of last year. It was coming up close to the election. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, this seems like maybe it is a political issue mm -hmm. and as well as a moral one. And uh, so I thought, well, maybe the Democratic Party would be interested. Mm. So I went to the Southfield headquarters 
which was just a small little place, and there was a young man there. And I gave him my ideas, and he kind of looked at me blankly and said, my goodness, it's for election. I don't think they're going to be wanting to do anything new. Um, besides, we just hand out lawn signs here and take names. However, I know someone who might be interested. And so he wrote down Lori's name and said, have you heard of the Indivisible Fighting Nine? I said, no, I have not. And he I'm said, going to let Lori Lisi pick up the story <laughs> right now because that person whose name he wrote down is sitting right next to you yes. and with us in the studio. That's so right. Lori, welcome and uh, pick Thank up you. this powerful story now. So I don't remember if I got an email. I think I got an email with a phone number and I called Elaine and I said, come to our next meeting. Mm-hmm. You know, we are all heartbroken over what's happening, but there... Was it, this a meeting of the Democratic Party, or no, this was this a meeting? No, this is a meeting, I'm sorry, of our, of our group, which is called Indivisible Fighting Nine. It's part of a network of groups all over the country that started right after the election. Some uh, young people who were former staffers on the Hill... Um, after the election, wrote a book called The Indivisible Guy. And this was after the presidential election. Sorry, the 2016 yeah. election, yes. yes. right. And thousands of groups sprung up around the country. And we um, are the fighting nine because we're in the ninth congressional district in Michigan. And most of our members are in that district, but we also welcome people from outside the district. So we meet twice a month. And I had Elaine come to the next meeting and present her idea to the group. And immediately she had a committee that met. You didn't meet that night, did you, Elaine? <laughs> it didn't waste I, much time, I, right? You got immediate support. Well, Lori, uh, I was very impressed with Lori. She, she said, I'm going to pass around a clipboard. Anyone who's interested in helping, sign your name. By the time it got around to me, there were 12 names on there. Wow. Mm-hmm. So she put together this committee, and they met before or after, I think usually before our meetings. Yes. And they came up with this idea. Um, I was not on the committee, but the minute they had the idea to collect toys and do the stakes, then I'm in charge of communications, which is actually kind of funny, but um, I wasn't even on Facebook till after the election. So (laughs) then I um, put out the word that we needed toys, not only within our group, but within some Mm -hmm. other groups we're very well connected in this area with other groups who are also mm-hmm. resisting what's going on. And Elaine put a big garbage can out on her front porch so that you could just... <laughs> a nice, clean garbage can yeah. for a nice, clean, brand new, uh, brand new you <laughs> know, for these... Uh, yeah. Big sign <laughs> container, on it. <laughs> container, yeah, big sign for people to donate these um, children's stuffed toys, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And then it took, obviously, a lot of people because to tie these little little toys to a thousand stakes and then to put them up. And how was it that the church allowed, you found a church that allowed you to display this on their property? Because your your own church said no, but it took obviously a church also that said yes. Well, uh, it's the First United Methodist Church and that's where we hold our meetings. Okay. And uh, we felt if we we're going to be doing the display, we had to find a place that's willing to put it up. And yeah. That well, there's a lot of traffic, too. Yes, where, where it's going to be seen. And uh, so um, I went to the pastor, uh, Pastor Schoenholz, uh at the church and uh, uh, explained the idea to him and asked, would 
he be willing to allow us to use the lot at the site of their church. And he was immediately supportive, mm -hmm. said he'd have, be happy to do it. As, he says, as long as the sign isn't too political. So, <laughs> I mean, so, well, the sign read, uh, what did the sign read? In support of, what did the sign read? Yeah, for the... Um, One thousand. For the thousands, for the thousands of separated immigrant children. That's it. And uh, we thought long and hard about a slogan and couldn't put into words. Everyone wanted to say something different. So what we just came up with the idea of making, let's make this a memorial for the children mm -hmm. and let this, let it speak for itself. It'll speak to everyone and the and Pastor, I want to quote him because in the Detroit Free Press, that was one of the um, articles that were about the coverage on this media coverage. Um, Pastor Schoenholz, um, he basically said that we they were extremely supportive, but his quote was, it's in keeping with our United Methodist beliefs, uh, and this particular church is very adamant for our support for immigrant immigrant rights, and he said that they are a sanctuary, sanctuary church, and they have provided temporary housing to immigrants in the past, so it was very consistent with what they wanted to do. So I want to ask you, Monica, um, as you listen to this story, um, what do you want to know? Um, well, I would like to take a minute and, and talk about what, <laughs> why we need this memorial that you've created. Um, this whole story is very important to me. I grew up in South America as a kid, and one thing that I'll never forget is being at the Plaza de Mayo in Argentina, where to this day, you know, mothers pick it and say, hey, because of corrupt government, we have lost our children completely. We don't know what happened to them. Tell us what happened to our children. They do this all, like, constantly. And I was a child. I was a young child. I had absolutely no idea. And I just remember asking my parents, like, what, what do you mean they can't find their kids? What do you mean their kids disappeared? What do you mean they still have no idea what happened to them? And now that is happening in this country. And it's absolutely ridiculous that this even was allowed to happen. You know, this is the kind of thing that this country knows better than to let happen. And I think it's amazing that you guys are keeping it in the spotlight because I think it is being used as a political tool to, you know, turn attentions from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about these children being separated from their families. We've all seen the pictures of children kept in cages. Um, how did you guys come upon this story and what... What can we do right now other than make these displays? Well, <clears throat> I don't think, um, I believe any way that people can keep it in the uh, forefront of public awareness is absolutely essential. Um, to me, the intentional abuse of innocent children um, as a government policy intentional to being a key word too to, to achieve a goal mm -hmm. is what it was and to me this there is nothing less american than that i can't imagine um anyone um uh, being in favor of it and and it's for most people i talk to they can't believe that it could actually happen in this country but here it is happening and unfortunately um the powers that be are showing no remorse. Um, and I think they think it still was a good idea. 
<laughs> you know, and that and, old quote about um, evil persists when good people do nothing is right. so relevant to right here. And I think that um, it's also important that people are aware of the enormity of it. Yeah. This is no small thing. It's not just like each stake doesn't represent one child in your display. It represents multiple we, children. When we started off, we wanted to do one stake for a child, uh, 3,000. But it's uh, kind of ironic to think that we became aware of how many 3,000 were we, we were doing When you this started tying little toys. When we started toys. actually yeah. collecting toys. And uh, we were working in my basement. And so my basement was getting more and more filled up with, with toys on stake. And, and we were realizing, really, we, we cannot, with just our size group of people, handle 3,000. There is just no way. Well, and American citizens have already stepped up to do things like house the kids who have been separated who cannot find their families now because these are children of undocumented immigrants. Yeah. They have no way of putting them properly back with their families. It's become this huge mess that our government has created. We've basically orphaned a bunch of children's, children that have parents. And it's the Plaza de Mayo, you know, these mothers don't know, these parents don't know where their children have gone. You know, and the U.S. State Department um, put out a report not that long ago basically saying that um, separating children from their families increases the likelihood of those children ended up ending up in sexual trafficking. And there are children who have been sexually abused, and there are children who have died. And these are on our conscience yes. as American citizens. And we can't just turn our back. And our that was yesterday's headlines. And, and it's still occurring. And Lori... Um, I know that Elaine shared some of the emotion behind what prompted her, but I know that you and, and the members who immediately signed that sign-up sheet had that same emotion. Can you share some of the feelings that other people have said who've been working on this? Well, I also lost a kid for probably just 20 minutes. But by the time I found her, I was tears were streaming down my face. So I think if you've ever loved a kid, you realize you just couldn't survive if they were taken away. So when you were talking, um, Monica, about the stakes not representing just one child, they also represent the parents and the families who are mm -hmm. suffering. And some of those parents have been deported. They're not even in the country any yeah. longer. Yeah. And some of those parents are having to pay to get their kids back to them. Um, so I just think the level of suffering is, is incalculable. So the, the parents that have to pay to get their children returned to them are parents who came to the United States seeking asylum. They already have nothing. They have absolutely nothing, and we've taken away what they had. It's and let's be insane. clear about many of these people are running away from horrible violence in Central America that um, partially American policies uh, about what's going on in that country, uh, in those countries, um, we have had a... a a share in some of that, or we also could invest money in trying to address those problems rather than investing money in putting up bigger border walls and having more police and pressuring the Mexican government and threatening tariffs, all the things that we're doing that won't really solve the problem. Isn't that correct? Uh, I think also um, I immigrated to this country from Canada years mm. ago and uh, with uh, my husband and three children. And I think people do not understand how difficult the immigration process is 
uh, and how expensive it is. Uh, you have to find document after document. And so for people in these small countries, uh, any document requires a bribe, being of a bribe, I'm sure. Uh, and so the barriers are already so high in their own country and, and, and with our requirements that for people who are suffering, they have no choice but to just uh, run for it. Yeah. To run for Get it and, and then go. to seek asylum. And is to what seek asylum, that's, that's the only choice they have. Mm -hmm. But the message that these are rapists and drug dealers and, uh, you know, the worst kind of criminals that are coming into our country to steal our jobs, um, that's um, gaslighting, too. If you could notice the pictures of the people as they're trudging along, they're wearing flip-flops, they hardly have anything, belongings with them, uh, these are not criminals. Mm -hmm. I've actually been to a deportation hearing down in Brownsville oh, okay. with about 50, 60 people handled at one time. Um, my son-in-law is a criminal, is a public defender down in Brownsville. And the people come into the room, they're all of them shackled. They all of them have had their shoelaces removed. They all of them no longer have their belts. They're wearing what they came in and they've spent who knows how long in these rooms that are supposedly very cold. They have not showered. And they come in shackled both by their hands and their feet, trying to hold their pants up as they shuffle in. And I started to cry. And these were at least the adults that were coming in. I mean, some of them were only 18. They had to be 18 to be there. Mm -hmm. But they just, you, the thought that goes through your head is that we are treating them like animals. That's really what I thought when they came in. Well, and these people, you know, they're they're coming to this country for something better. And if this is what they're getting when they get here, but they still keep coming here, what nightmares are they leaving? You know, people can't disconnect from the life of capitalism that we have in this country and consider the situation that these people are in. And right now, they're being used as, you know, political slag and it's reprehensible it is morally reprehensible it is terrible well what would you ask that our listeners um do i mean people who maybe have been touched by and inspired by the fact that you didn't just um sit, wring your hands and say oh my isn't this terrible but as american citizens um you rolled your sleeves up and did something about it and are continuing um, what would you ask people to do? I, I have a couple things, actually. I donate to a group called RACES, R-A-I-C-E-S. I can't remember exactly if they're posting bond for people, but they are helping down on the border. So I donate to them. There are some Catholic organizations down there, because often if people do get out, they're just dumped at the um, bus station, and they don't have... They might have a, they have a bus ticket, I think, but they don't have food. They don't have anything with them. Um, I also think people should get involved politically. We have the election coming up in mm -hmm. 2020. Um, I think Elaine and I have both gotten out of our comfort zone since the election, and I would ask people, you know, if you've never called your congressperson before or your senator and you've never knocked doors, this is the time to do that. Mm -hmm. I think you should... Uh 
write letters, uh, send postcards to uh, your uh, local politicians or the federal uh, politicians. Yeah. And I think representatives should, in Congress. We're talking uh, about yes. federal policies yes, here. Yes, correct. And I think also uh, write letters to the editor. Well, the and media. I think nowadays we're starting to see the power of what happens when people hold their governments accountable for stuff like this. You know, since the election and since the Democrats taking back control um, of the House. House, thank you. I was going to say Senate, but I knew that was the wrong one. <laughs> um, you know, we're starting to see how, you know, when people get angry, when people get inflamed about this stuff, they do actually have the power to do something about it. Um, the recent um, case with the 9-11 um, victims is just an example that I want to use <sighs> of... You're talking about John Stewart. John Stewart. Yeah. He was yeah. such yeah. a fighter. Yeah. Well, right. so powerful. So and eloquent. not yeah. to derail our message here, but I'm just saying, you know, if you take your anger and you channel it into a good space, you can actually do something about it. And it's frustrating and it takes a long time. But if you give up, then you're just going to end up with more kids in cages and more parents missing their children. And we're going to have Plaza de Mayo in the United States of America. And that should never happen. Um, the other thing I would say, if anyone else is interested in creating a display like this, I have to say that it's very powerful and it touches the hearts of many people. Mm -hmm. And if we can do it, it was not a huge uh, number of people involved in it, it's doable. And I would really recommend other people to uh, attempt to do something the same. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because I believe that, um, is it still up? There's another uh, location at another church in the Detroit area that they also um, put it up, I know. And um, is it is it still up now? It's still up. It's at the Universalist Un uh, Unitarian Church mm -hmm. on Cass Avenue on the Wayne State campus. Okay. And uh, they have smaller grounds, and so they are only... Uh, able to put up a few hundred, okay. and so it's not quite so impactful. Mm -hmm. However, uh, there is another church that is considering putting it up, and this so would be a it, it would be thing to do. Really All the nice United if States. it moved around mm -hmm. around the country. Uh, yes, I had uh, someone told me that there was a man from California who was looking at it, and he said, "I want to take this idea back to California with me." So yeah. I hope that works. Well, I want to wrap up by asking you, you know, to take here's a powerful example of two women. Uh, and Elaine, I, don't, I think you don't mind me sharing the fact that you are 86 years old, 86 years old and still, you know, on the front <laughs> lines of as an active citizen, raising your voice, using your power. Um, would you just share uh, anything you want to say, because this uh, this whole conversation that we have each week is really about um, encouraging and giving examples uh, of women uh, raising their voices and um, taking their power and putting it to use to make a difference uh, during our time on this planet. Mm -hmm. Anything you want to say about that? Well, I would just say to anyone, if there is something, uh, some injustice that uh, moves your heart, um, Think long and hard about what you can do about it. It's just, it may be some small thing. It may be uh, getting a few people together to talk about it and come up with an idea. But uh, don't just sit back. Uh, think long and hard about it and do something about it if you can. Lori. Um, I guess I, I, I would just say that my our indivisible group 
is primarily women and it's primarily first-time activists. So I think a lot of women, because of the injustice they see in our country right now, have really found their voice. I know that's true for me, that I've done things I hadn't done before. Um, so, and I, I think people should say to themselves, you know, I think sometimes you ask, what would I do if I were in this situation where this terrible thing is happening? Well, that's now. Mm -hmm. And um, if you're not doing anything, then you're really complicit. You really need to step out of your comfort zone and, and you will find your power. You know, my mom used to always say, your grandmother, uh, Monica, used to always say, are you part of the problem or are you part of the solution? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if you're not part of the solution, then you're an apathetic part of allowing uh, an unjust status quo to continue. Monica, I'm let you weigh in here. I mean, you've had some powerful things to share about your own life in terms of this. Well, um, I, ha I have spent time in South America. I lived there when I was very young. Um, people in this country can't wrap, most people in this country cannot wrap their heads around the situation that people in other countries live in. You know, there's hillsides with like ramshackle houses that people build out of garbage. Like this is how they live in these other countries. And they're they're not coming here to like live a rich life. They're coming here to live a human life. And people need to remember that these are human beings. They've been through more than any of us will go through in our entire lives, you know, in their early lives. They're coming here to try and get help. And not only are we not helping them, but we're actually making things like a nightmare for them. We're not considering them as human beings. We're not considering them as we're we're just treating them horribly. It breaks my heart. Um, people need to start looking at these images, looking at these displays, looking at what is happening to these people, and check their privilege. Because if you're comfortable sitting in your happy little house and just watching horrible things happen to people, then yes, you are a part of the problem. And if that ever got ripped away from you, heaven help you, because these people probably would and you wouldn't deserve it. You know, and the last thing I want to say about this is um, our country obviously was built on immigrants. And um, immigrants are not people looking for a handout. Mm -mm. Immigrants are that small percentage of people who, despite everything that they're suffering or the, the terrible conditions they're in, are able to find the courage and the strength to run and to take their families to fight for a better life. And that's really the history of, and there's a tremendous amount of statistics in this country that immigrants, I mean, second generation immigrants are some of the most educated and most successful people because they come from stock of people who are willing to fight and have tremendous strength for a better life. And isn't that what America's all about? Mm -hmm. I thought so. I thought so too. Strength and determination. And if I can just take a quick minute, I wanted to say... I learned a lot of this stuff, especially in high school, with uh, the Spanish-American Latino uh, Student Association at my school. They're all amazing people. A lot of them were children of immigrants, and I have friends who've gra graduated U of M. Th this is the people we're talking about. Yeah. People who are educated and who want a better life, and they are capable of it. All they want is the same chance that anybody else gets, the same chances that we all take for granted. 
Well, this has been a powerful conversation. I hope that we have touched some hearts, and I hope that we've inspired some people. Do you want to give us any information about how people could contact you in case they do want to uh, do something? Um, you can contact could, people through my Facebook page. Is perfectly also they fine. could they could reach Elaine or me through our Indivisible Fighting Nine website. Okay. There's a place where you can contact us, and that's indivisiblefighting9.com. N-I-N-E, or is it a number it's nine? It's the number nine, thank you. Okay, indivisiblefightingnumber9.com. Okay. And we also have a private Facebook page, but if they wanted to ask to join, um, we have some questions they can answer, and that's fighting number nine with the number sign. All right. Well, thank you very much, uh, Elaine Roseborough and Lori Lisi, uh, two women who don't just care deeply about what's happening to refugee children at our border, but also have the courage uh, to inspire and to lead others to work to stop this stain on America's soul. Uh, have a great week, everybody. I'm Ann Doyle. And I'm Monica Doyle. And let's all go power up. Thanks for joining us at Powering Up. We hope you'll subscribe and share us with your network. Monica and I would love to hear from you through the Powering Up Women Facebook page or at Andoyle LDR on Twitter. And remember, power is the currency for getting things done. Claim yours and put it to work. <laughs>